Hey, it's Phil Simon. My new book is out now. It is called The Nine, The Tectonic Forces Reshaping the Workplace. It's my best work to date, and I hope that you'll check it out. Thanks. Aha! I've got it! Rain, how can I ever thank you? Just don't bump me on your way out of the car. Conversations about Collaboration, Episode 67. Today, Tiago Forte joins me. We are going to talk about his new book, Building a Second Brain, A Proven Method to Organize Your Digital Life and Unlock Your Creative Potential. We also talk about Legos, productivity, and all sorts of cool stuff. Let's get it on! Tiago, live from Long Beach. How is it going over there? It is great. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, congrats on the new book. I want to get into it, but before we talk about building a second brain, um, Legos. <laughs> we'll just start with Legos. Talk to me about an inspiration coming from a childhood toy. Yeah, you know, I when I started getting into this field, personal knowledge management, and started taking a lot of digital notes, it kept reminding me of something. It kept having this, gosh, this feels familiar somehow. And uh, one day I was back at my parents' house and I came across the, the box. We had this Tupperware box, gray, non-transparent. And when you opened it, it has every Lego piece from my entire childhood, probably, probably like five to 10,000 pieces, just massive collection. And I was just had so many memories brought back. And one of them was, I think, one of my, my earliest exposures to like freeform creativity, which was dumping. I'd usually start by dumping out that box on the floor and then just sorting through it, you know, going like this and kind of passing my hands over the pieces to see what emerged and then starting to mix and match and connect them together, see what fits, see what didn't. Uh, that is what I do today, just with digital notes instead of Legos to produce pieces of content and business products and meeting notes and, you know, different work-related documents instead of spaceships and castles. Uh, and, you know, just a, it's a more adult version of the same kind of collection of building blocks that I did as a kid. So I think about sorting a lot. In my days as a college professor, one of the books I'd recommend to the students who, of course, wouldn't read them, but that's a different discussion, was Everything is Miscellaneous by David, I think it was Weingarten or Weinberger. But the principle of the book, I don't know if you ever heard of that one. No. That principle of the book was that if you take a look at physical stores, right, where are you going to put the bagos, right? Because there's probably only going to be one place. And I said, I, I like bagos on my salad, but would they be in the meat? Would they be in the salad dressing section? Would they be somewhere else? But you basically have to pick. And what's a logical destination for one person, it makes no sense for someone else. But with metadata and tags, in, in theory, you wouldn't have to choose. So your new book, is about productivity, but it's also about project management or knowledge management. And you can select multiple quote unquote shelves, right? Without having someone go into the business section going, well, I couldn't find it. Well, it's in self-help. I wouldn't have heard to look there. So I think a lot about if you were sorting the Legos, in theory, you can do all of the red pieces. And you might've even seen some of these videos in which people organize their bookshelves by color. Yes. Right? And other people. So I tend to do it by section. I've got my music section. I've got my own section. I've got my friend's section. It just makes sense to me, but I can't say that that's the right one. 
Talk to me a little bit about sorting and organizing and capturing in the context of that, because I can see how these tools now are so powerful that we don't have to necessarily pick one bucket, which can be, I guess, both helpful and a little daunting. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is, this is actually one of the the oldest problems <clears throat> facing humanity. You know, Aristotle several thousand years ago was wrestling. He wrestled with this idea of how to categorize human knowledge. So he came up with, with 10 categories. He said, no, all human knowledge can be sorted into these 10 categories, but that didn't take, didn't, he didn't really come up with, you know, the right, the, the perfect solution. Uh, going forward, you know, uh, Denis Diderot during the enlightenment uh, wrote the encyclopedia. He said, no, we're going to classify all human knowledge according to these all encompassing categories. Then later on, there was uh, other philosophers tried in the 20th century. There was this, um, this Indian librarian who proposed, I think it was five categories and so we've tried again and again and again and again, but we never quite find, like you were referring to, the perfect all-encompassing organizational system. And I think the reason is, is there isn't one. There isn't one. It's like, if you find these all-encompassing categories, they're too broad to really be useful. And if you find useful categories, they're and the ones that are actionable, they're not really all-encompassing. So you have to either choose. You can have a universal system or you can have a useful system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I choose the useful system. <laughs> and what's useful to one person may not necessarily be useful or as useful to another one. And yes. when I was reading the book, um, I thought about how I could make certain changes to make myself more productive. But if I'm working on a project and assume it's not my home office, I'm doing it all myself, which who knows if I can do, or you know, if I can build my own website, great. But if I'm doing something that involves more than just me, I'd argue it's not just productivity, right? It's collaboration, it's project management. So talk a little bit about how your framework could conceivably apply to people on multiple projects. For example, with a book, you know, people might think, oh, I did it all myself. No, you didn't, right? You have people helping you, whether you know it or not. Yeah, you know, I feel like <clears throat> we know that there's all these, these kinds of management that have become popularized. You know, we know we need pro- project management, we need product management, we need people management, we need, you know, human resources management, but I'm proposing there's a new one that in a way is more fundamental than all of those, which is knowledge management, right? It's like all what all those kinds of management have in common is you have to find knowledge, capture and organize knowledge, make sense of knowledge, distill knowledge, use knowledge. Uh, we're not, this isn't something we're taught. We're not taught in school. We're not taught in workplaces that we should manage knowledge. But I think to be successful in all those other kinds of management, you have to, you have to. Um, yeah, what you said is exactly right. When you look at the, the, the individual level, personal knowledge management, it looks different for every person, every single person. And this is why I created a course on this. This is why I wrote a book. Every single person has different categories that make sense for them. Because they have different projects, they're pursuing different goals, they do different kinds of work with different kinds of, you know, division between different kinds of information. And so it's a, it's a process of personalization. It's a process of customization. You can't, I, I wish there was some off the shelf, like just download this app and you will have your second brain. It will just hit a button and AI will just organize it all for you. But at least for now, it is a, it is a deeply personal process. 
I remember a few years ago when a friend told me that he was working on 37 different projects in different stages of development. And I said, that's it, huh? <laughs> it seemed like kind of a big number. Um, I understand that some people are more focused than others. When I start to write a book, I'm locked on that. And I don't read a lot of other books at the time. Um, I tend to identify windows in my schedule. Or when I recorded one of my own courses recently, that was the focus for six weeks. And people said, I thought you just started that. How is it finished? Or the new book, did you just tell me you were? Yeah, because I lock on it like a bulldog. But other people are a little bit more varied, for lack of a better term. Um, but your system, the way they understand it, would actually work with either, although I'm sure there are limitations, right? If you're working on 2000 projects, good luck with that. Yeah, you know, th so here's the thing. We all have many projects. I don't know if we have 37. I tend to advise people to have around like 10 to 15. And we're, we're given this advice, like focus on one thing at a time, right? Or do deep work only do the work that is the deepest, which I think is good advice. Some people just need to hear, focus on one thing at a time. But once you sort of mastered that, you realize that's, it's not really realistic to do that all the time. You're going to have many things you have to move forward. You're going to have many things you're collaborating on with different people, different groups. The bottleneck I would say is where are you tracking? How are you tracking all the information related to those projects? If you're using your biological brain, this thing, this mushy thing up here, you're going to, you're going to be so constrained, right? Like the, the thing that the, the human brain is capable of miraculous things. One of the worst things that it does is remember details, right? Like remembering details is the job that your brain is the worst at. Wait, what are we talking about again? <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's hard to remember what we were talking about just now. <laughs> Well, you ever see that Seinfeld episode when he wakes up in the middle of the night and he jots down a note and then he wakes no, up I in haven't. the morning and he can't read it and he shows it to uh, George and Elaine and Kramer and they all have a very different interpretation. One is Nix 87, Cleveland 83. Another one is add three cups of honey to recipe or whatever the hell it was. It's just, <laughs> it's just funny. Um, a lot of times I think if I've got a note get it down before it gets away. And gosh, I remember working on my first book back in 2008. I was on a treadmill in New Jersey and my book was about IT project failures. And this was before I had a smartphone, but I was running on the treadmill and I thought about how what I did on a project was very similar to Harvey Keitel's character. Mr. Wolf basically comes in, was very rude with people, very curt. But if you remember the movie, they kind of had to be. They didn't have a lot of time for massaging it. And how do you feel about this? It was just, dude, let's get this body out of the car. And I remember getting off the treadmill, writing it down. And ultimately that made it in the book. I don't think that would have happened if I had, to your point about remembering, said, oh, I'll, I'll get to it later. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not. But you're talking about something on a much grander scale. Grander in a way, but also just that mundane. You know, you have ideas. They don't, the ideas don't arrive. They don't happen on command, right? Like if there's one way to, you know, bring your ideas to a standstill, if it, it is, if I say, have a good idea right now, like now immediately, good idea, <laughs> not just any idea, a great idea. It's like your mind just goes blank. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, you have to be set up to capture those on the treadmill, in the shower, driving, you know, walking around your town, walking the dog. If you don't have a way to quickly, efficiently 
frictionlessly write that down. And I say a smartphone is even more convenient than a notepad, right? The second you write it down, it gets saved, it gets synced to the cloud, synced across your devices. It's searchable, it's linkable. You can annotate it, you can edit it, you can share it. None of which is true when it comes to paper notes. 100%. But even though you're a big fan of tools like Notion and Bear and Evernote, um, also in the book, you specifically call out the need for a task management system. Can you talk a little bit about the way that you recommend to your clients using one versus the other? Because I know that you can use Notion as this almost super app. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I do struggle. Um, when I'm doing a book, I will have my list of things in Todoist, but that's not a manuscript, right? So I use tools in different ways and I'm not saying that it's right or wrong, but but I'm curious. Um, talk to me about how you use those types of tools because it doesn't sound like your book is pretty tool agnostic from what I could gather, um, but you're not saying you can use one tool for everything. Something tells me you didn't write your book in Notion. Oh no, absolutely not. Yeah, so this I think is a common misconception, <clears throat> probably because I call it a second brain, you know, singular, is people think it's like one app to rule them all. And it's really not. It's really not. I mean, the average person uses one to two dozen different software programs in a day. One to two dozen. And what does software do? Pretty much all software manages information, does something, manipulates information. So I think this this is something that really gets people hung up is like the search for the one app to do everything. I can just tell you it's futile. It's completely futile. Um, now within that, that group of software, two of the most important kinds, two of the most important productivity apps are your notes app and your task manager. And the simple distinction is a task manager is for taking action, right? It is, it is, it is verbs, it's actions, it's next steps, do this, write that review this, decide that, which you can try to take notes in there. But often notes are so voluminous, you know, you don't want the one action, which is just a few words buried and hidden among this massive volume of, of, of text. That, that need, that simple, that simple need is why I really advocate separating them, having quick, succinct actions in a task manager, and then your voluminous, complex notes in a, in a notes app in a separate, separate piece of software. Mm-hmm. For me, I know when I'm working on a book, or doing something else, the task might be if it's really quick with a link to read something or, or maybe something like Pocket, or I'm sure you've heard of an RSS feeder like Feedly. So I'm, I'm with you. And sometimes I've overwhelmed folks because one of my productivity clients is all about Inbox Zero. Mm-hmm. And that's cool, right? I, I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a huge fan of having your life revolve around your inbox because, as you know, anyone could put anything at the top of your inbox, mm-hmm. right? And there are whitelists and blacklists and spam filters, all that. But I like this notion of, right, I'm going into my email. I only want to be there for 20 minutes. I don't want it to be a newsletter, right? I will use Feedly or I will set up automation. So if it's if something that I need to do, okay, first time. But if I regularly need to pay my taxes, I'm not going to send myself an email once a quarter. Yeah. Yeah. You know, th- this is the thing is email people... Email has been around for 50 years. In fact, it was the fall of 2001. That was the 50-year anniversary of the first I saw email. that. I felt yes. very old. Yeah, right? 50 years, half a century, we've been sending emails. And so it's almost like email is so effective. Honestly, how, how many technologies have stuck around for 50 years? 
it is so powerful that it started to metastasize and to take over all these other functions. It's become, like you said, a reminder tool, a calendar, a to-do list, a contact list database, a notes app, a reading app. itself, yeah. a reading app, like all these different things. One of the most popular articles on my blog is called One Touch to Inbox Zero. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a reimagining of the Inbox Zero concept. And my main advice is instead of using email as this all-encompassing, again, the one after rule them all, to separate out those functions into, I think I say five different productivity apps, like mm. a task manager, a calendar app, a read later app, a notes app. And what was the other one? Maybe just four actually. Um, and that way you have the right tool for the job. You're not trying to do multiple things in a piece of software that wasn't designed for it. And what that does is it lets email be the, the one thing that it does best, which is simply a place that new information arrives. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah, to me, it's not a knowledge management system. It's not a, it's not a Slack or a Microsoft Teams. And yes, there are the add-ons that are kind of cool, but I'm, I'm with you. And there are people who go, oh, that's cool. I didn't realize this. And once they've understood that there are three or four tools, I mean, at some point there's overkill, right? I mean, you could conceivably use, I forget the alternative to Pocket. I think, was it Instapaper? Instapaper, yeah. Uh, and there are times in which an article won't render well in pocket, but I pay the $50 per year because I like if I'm driving to the gym, if I'm reading an article at home, well, that's good. I don't have time to finish it. Hit the play button, Bluetooth speaker. I'm quote unquote reading the article while, I, while I'm actually keeping my eyes on the road. So I think that's, that's really interesting. Um, but you're talking about in the book using, whether it's Notion or Bear or Evernote in a much more comprehensive way. So the way I look at pocket and I explain it to folks, just as an example, it's almost like a temporary bookmark. Now, in theory, you can keep it and tag it. And if you went back through pocket, which I don't consider really a note-taking app, but maybe part of it, then I could say, right, what are all of the articles I tagged on future work? Because my new book is on the future work or whatever. Um, But to your point, these things do interact. So I'm not an a power user on something like Notion or Evernote. I've messed around with them. I know Evernote's had a bunch of uh, UI problems over the years and uh, CEOs changing and people bitching. Uh, I read some article a long time ago about how some musician stored all of his best songs there. And one day they just went poof. And he basically, <laughs> and I think it went viral basically never again. But yeah, explaining at a high level the notion of building a second brain as it relates to one of these apps, because it, it made sense to me but the the fact that it is app independent might make some folks a little queasy. Well, wait a minute here. Um, what do you mean by this? And what does it mean the app does it? Because I, I think you're right. What does this app do? And you're saying think bigger than app. You're thinking brain. Yeah, I think you're pointing to a really, a really fundamental kind of perspective shift, which is <clears throat> the way that we use software is very short-term oriented. You know, we're trying to do, we're trying to complete one project. We're making a to-do list for this week. We are downloading some content that maybe we'll get to in the next few days. But what I'm talking about is something very different. I'm talking about a months and years into the future effort to cultivate and to gather and to source your personal body of knowledge, like the expertise and the knowledge that you've painstakingly acquired through the books you've read, the classes you've taken, the projects you've executed, the jobs you've had. Uh, It's, you know, everything online, if you think about it, is oriented towards the public and the novel. Hmm. Say more. 
our whole relationship to information, especially on the internet, is public. Everything, everyone's shouting at full volume into the wind. And that's what we're encouraged to do. Oh, share your work, yell louder than everyone else into the, into the wind. And it's all about what's new, right? New, 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 new. Everything is a feed updating what happened two seconds ago, what's trending, what the algorithm is picking up. The second brain is the complete opposite. It is purposefully orienting yourself towards what is private and towards what is timeless. Hmm. Instead of public and new, you're focusing on what's, first of all, you're, you're organizing things in a private way, right? No one else has access to your second brain. There's no ads being shown there. No one is data mining your second brain. It's, it's strictly private unless you decide to share it. Um, and then it's timeless, right? Like, like a node in your second brain that was created a year ago is just as retrievable, is just as accessible as one that you took 10 minutes ago. So you actually find that you begin touching and drawing on notes from a much wider span of time than just what you've thought about in the past day or, you know, last few hours. I think about the implications of what you're saying. If you were trying to mine your second brain for a topic, for a blog post or a video or a book, I mean, I haven't thought about it in this context because I've been taking your course and I just recently read your book. But in the past, when I thought about what might be my next book, I would go back through my blog posts on WordPress and very easily do a count of tags or of categories to say, oh, I seem to be writing a lot about X. Yeah. Maybe there's something to that. But to your point, that is public. Yes. Right? Those are the things I'm choosing to publish. I might have all sorts of other crazy thoughts that I keep in some sort of uh, notebook like Kevin Spacey and seven. I don't know. Can we, <laughs> wait, can we go there yet with him? Talk, talk a little bit about the impetus behind a second brain, particularly how you started the book, because I don't read a lot of business books that jar me from the beginning. It's okay. This is a book about X versus, whoa, are we sure this is a business book? Yeah. You know, it was funny for me to see it in the business section because I, I thought, well, I guess, yeah, it is business, but in my, in my own you know, journey, I only started using it for business relatively recently. Uh, in the beginning, it was to manage a health condition. And then it was to manage my studies in college. And then it was to manage my travel and my living in other countries. And then only later was it to get a job, you know, create my resume, my portfolio, get a job, start a blog and create content. And, and the last thing that I used it for was to start my own business. And so to me, it's much more about self-development. It's much more about personal growth. It is about life management uh, more so than business. Hmm. Yeah, I hear what you're saying about that not being a short-term type of thing, managing your life. But it, I, I think there are a number of different interesting applications, including rewinding your brain to see where you were mentally two or three years ago, right? In oh, doing yeah. it in a way that, to your point, nothing wrong with journaling. I know a lot of people who swear by it. Uh, and I'm sure you can do it digitally, but with some of the tools that we've talked about today, it is so much power, more powerful, but, but I agree, it does tend to be more individual versus if you put something in Slack, which I'd argue is a knowledge base in and of its own thing. I mean, you can keep as much information as you want, but clearly that's for a team or an organization, or you said you're a Slack user yourself when we were talking before we started recording. Yeah. You know, Slack is an interesting case because their whole, the whole thesis was, oh, this is a almost like a timeline of your organization's knowledge, right? Like that, that was, that's what you pay for. When you pay for Slack, you pay for that, that message history. But I don't know about you, but I've worked in several organizations, my own and others that use Slack. I have never once 
I can't think of one time that I went into the past archives of Slack. And I don't know, maybe other people are better at that and know how to do that. But for me, I found the needs of communication are very different than the needs of personal knowledge management, right? Like the needs of communication, you're often exchanging these little bits of these little bits of information. One person has a question, another person answer. One person has a list of priorities. The other person has some feedback, all important, all super valuable. But when I think about the needs of knowledge management, it's, it's larger amounts of information, larger amounts of content and a much more personal lens, right? You might read a book and then go through and annotate the book with all your comments and questions and the things you agree with and disagree with. Much, much of that you would never share with anyone, both mm-hmm. because it's private and because no one cares, <laughs> right? Yeah, and I think that's one of the interesting things about these tools. Um, I know that GitLab and, and Darren Murph's been on my pod. He's kind of the oracle of remote work and I was kind enough to blurb my most recent one, but at the end of every month, they archive all their channels in Slack because they thought if it were really that important, then they'd move it to their own sort of knowledge management document, which is their famous, I think it's 13,000 page open sourced uh, way that they do things um, because that to them is more permanent, whereas Slack is a means to an end. So it is fascinating to think about all the different ways that you can use these tools, but I think we can both agree that you know if you're there's no way you can have a second brain in email. No. Right. It just, it just, to your point, it wasn't built for that, no matter how many different extensions or filters, but getting people off of that, it makes me wonder. Yeah. I know about keywords and negative keywords and in Gmail and Outlook, you can search by people and by timelines and all that. I just think, you know, that they just weren't built for it. And I think about the power of some of these tools. Again, I'm not great at Notion, but when I looked at it, I said, okay, I can, especially with the templates, I can understand how this would make sense. And the fact that there, to your point, you could store as much information as you want. I think about, um, and we talked a little bit before about Devon Link, um, but is it hard to imagine a scenario in which you start to apply AI and machine learning to these tools and they would actually make, I know Slack's working on this. So Slack search can be a little overwhelming, right? And notifications, is it urgent because someone put urgent there, right? Eh, maybe not. But what if it learned what was urgent? Because Tiago sent me a message and he only does that when it tends to be important, regardless of whatever emojis he used. I mean, I think about the implications of that, and I'm no expert on AI and machine learning, but I do know that it all starts with data. Yeah, I mean, I think that's all that's all happening. It's going to happen. It is happening. Uh, you can almost think of like the evolution of technology as the process by which previously human actions get converted into machine actions, right? Like there was a time, it's kind of an extreme example, but there was a time when you had a manuscript, you had a, you know, a text, you wanted a copy. Okay. Find a scribe, find a monk with, you know, 50 or hundred hours to go copy one word at a time. Today we hit, a cl- we click on a file, do command D and we have a, a duplicate, right? Oh, so is that like- the Mac trick for duplicating? It is. Yes. Okay. I learned something today. Okay. <laughs> I, I figured as much. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would agree. I mean, I, I think, uh, was it early copies of the Bible they'd have to write out? And I read a book a while ago called a better pencil about the evolution of writing technology. Uh. People were annoyed with the typewriter because they felt like, like you're saying, if you were to write your signature or a card or a book in your handwriting, that was a personal way of doing it. 
that a typewriter, which was loud and you know standardized with a courier font, it makes everyone the same when, when everyone isn't the same. Interesting. I got to look into this. I'm fascinated by the history of writing technology. Yeah, it was a really good book. And then they you know, talk about the printing press and all the different technologies. But yeah, Better Pencil was one that I read about five or six years ago. And I realized that now people are bitching, myself included, about grammar and 140 or 280 character limits. But there is a long history of things that you know, have annoyed people when it comes to writing. And I suppose that if I were using a second brain in one of these tools like Notion or Bear, and I would bitching about the same thing for a decade, throw in some AI, maybe it recommends, hey, Phil, you seem to complain a lot about this. Maybe you should write a book or see a shrink. Funny, funny. I just bought it. So I'll, uh, I'll check that out. Okay. Um, I'll let you go in a sec, but um, talk to me. I was watching one of your interviews before about, you believe that we've reached an inflection point when it comes to knowledge. Say more. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've reached a number of inflection points. I think, <clears throat> I mean, this practice of keeping digital notes, it's, it's funny because you would think we would have, in some ways, it's not that great of a technological challenge, right? Like it requires no super advanced futuristic technology. It just requires a way to write down text, a way to save it and sync it across different devices, a way to search it, a way to link and annotate it. I mean, this has all been around for decades. I think what's taken a, a while, and the reason we're just kind of reaching this point now, is there's no commercial incentive. Think about it. Mm. The, the notes apps that we've mentioned, I mean, Notion is starting to get big, but there has, there, there's no billion dollar notes app company. There's no you know tech unicorn that is is focused on this problem. It's not a very commercially promising problem, and I think partially because think about what most tech companies want to do: lock down your data in some sort of proprietary format that only they can only they can use. Well, what are we doing here? We are extracting, we're sourcing our data from ebook Kindle highlights and from Apple Notes and from all these different places and saving them in a place that we control, that we own, that we can annotate and we can edit, right? There, there's no company, none of these companies want you to do this. It's kind of like a hacker, rebel, you know, re rebellious type thing to do. Um, but I think finally that the technology has gotten to a certain point and also the culture has gotten to a certain point. Like we've gotten to the point that we understand the tech companies, the social media giants do not always have our best interests at heart. Right. <laughs> you talk for hours about that. It's like become abundantly clear. Sometimes our interests, you know, converge, but other times they're completely opposed. And so I think people are finally ready. We're finally ready as a society to take back control of our data. Yeah. And um, we could talk for hours about that as well. But I think about some of the old tweets that surface from someone who becomes famous. And then was it the Jeopardy host a couple of years ago? Um, they went back when he got the job, they went back to his old tweets and they were racist or sexist or both. Um, and just to your point from earlier, just because we can share something doesn't mean that we should. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. Currently the default is public. Oh, you have a thought Twitter, you ate something for breakfast, Instagram, right? It's like we instantly push it to the entire world or to, to our followers or whatever, but I think it's like it's almost like as more of our our actual lives become embedded in technology, 
right? Like at this point, my grocery list is in, is in digital notes. My most intimate thoughts about being a parent, being a husband, my journal entries, it's all digital. Because our lives themselves are becoming more digital, we now have this need to make things digital without necessarily making them public. It's like there's an in-between space, you know, like a, I think of it like a private garden, a private digital garden of knowledge that we need to be able to cultivate without worrying that this whole crowd of people is going to come trampling through our garden. Good stuff. I'll get you out of here on this, Tiago. What book are you currently reading? Um, I am reading a book called uh, It Didn't Start With You, hmm. which is about intergenerational trauma. Wow. <laughs> i have to check that one out. Tiago, thanks so much for your time and congrats on the book. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it, Phil. Cheers. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, and how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, then how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time.